Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, this Lord's Day. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Amen? We are uh, glad to be in the house of the Lord today. This, these front two pews look a little bit better than they've been looking. They've been a little neglected. Uh, some of them have sent notes to me saying, why does no one care for me? Where are my friends, the Ratliffs? Uh, but we're glad that they're here. Uh, on the front row. Um, but we gather into the house of the Lord today. You know, we've been, uh, some of you, I don't know about you guys, but we've been celebrating uh, our independence as a nation. And, um, you know, whenever we think of freedom, the very first thing we should think of is not red, white, and blue. First thing we should think of is not America, although what a great thing to be thankful for. Uh, we should be reminded that we were once slaves in sin and that God has redeemed us and he has made us free men. Amen? Amen. And in the making of free men, the Bible says this, brethren, we have been called unto freedom. We've been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty as an occasion to your flesh, but by love serve one another. You know what we're free to do? We are free to love each other. We are free to serve each other. We're not free to do whatever we want. And anyone who thinks that that's what freedom is doesn't know what freedom is at all. Amen? In Psalm 9, David understood about who we are to praise. We can praise and give thanks for many things. But there is one thing to be thankful for most of all. And of course, that is our Lord Psalm 9 said, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee, and I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. How many of you sing praise to God when you're not in here? How many of you lift up your voices to God when you're at, in your yard or with your family. And I don't mean an organized worship. I'm talking about just, does your heart just spring forth with the well of praise for God? When my enemies are turned back, they shall fall in thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. And thou saddest in the throne, judging right. 
Thou hast rebuked the heathen, and thou hast destroyed the wicked, and thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end, and thou hast destroyed cities. Their memorial is perished with them, but the Lord shall endure forever. They can take down memories, and they can take down memorials, and they can even take our freedom in one sense. But the freedom that God has given us cannot be taken. Amen? Even... In China, I recently watched a uh, kind of a documentary film about these folks, and uh, they wanted to know if there were if people in other countries knew about Jesus. They thought they may be the only ones who knew, and they were very eager to hear about the people in America and the people around the world that knew Christ. And there they are in the midst of persecution. They don't even think about hiding from the police. They're like, you know what? The Seventh-day Adventists, they get beat on Saturdays, but we get beat on Sundays. That's how they know the days of the week over there. He shall judge the world in righteousness and he shall minister judgment to the upright. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed and a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in him. For thou, O Lord, hath not forsaken them that seek thee, Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembers them, and he forgetteth not the cry of the humble. If you or you know anyone who is feeling repressed, who is feeling put down, who is feeling that justice has not come to them, there is one who we can cry to who can bring justice. Amen? He makes inquisition for blood. He remembers them and he does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, and consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me, that thou liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of Zion, of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they are made, and in the net which they hid is their foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. You don't have to lay a trap for the wicked. They have laid one for themselves, and God will see to it that they fall in it. The wicked shall be turned to hell, and all the nations that forget God will do the same. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, and let not man prevail, and let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. He is God, and we are men. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. You are the great judge. You are the bringer of justice. You are the hearer of prayers. Lord, you do not forget our cries. Lord, you do not forget the poor and the humble and the downtrodden. And you, O Lord, can lift them up. We pray today, as you have lifted us up, that we would be thankful, Lord, for the sins that you have washed away. You have taken us who were strangers and made us fellow citizens together, formed us into a people who were not a people, and now are we your people, the people of God. We are that holy city. I pray today, Lord, that your people would hear the voice of of your voice today, the voice of our King. Help us, O Lord change us as we hear these words. May they be transformative in our lives, that we would not be conformed to the image 
uh, of man and, 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 and the fleshly way of thinking, Lord, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we would prove what is good and acceptable in the sight of God. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. My sermon today is called King of the Mount. My text is Psalm 48. And uh, I'm pretty excited about offering this to all of you today. And I pray that God speaks to your hearts. Let me read for you. I'm going to read the whole psalm. It's not that long. Um, Psalm 48, starting in verse 1. A song of, a song and a psalm for the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge, for lo, the kings were assembled and passed by her together. They saw it and they marveled. They were troubled and they hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there and pain as of a woman in travail. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with the east wind, as we have heard So have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of the temple. According to thy name, O God, is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion. Go round about her and tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God forever and ever. And he will be our guide even unto death. Let us pray. Oh, dear Lord, we come to you today and we come to this psalm and we pray, Lord, that you would just teach it to us, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would supernaturally fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I would speak prophetic words, Lord, not my own, not my thoughts, but your thoughts and words, Lord, speak it to these people through me. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. As the Israelites crossed over the Jordan River not far from the deep valley of the Dead Sea, they were standing not only at the bottom of the great walls of the city of Jericho, but at the base of an impressive geological feature. Jericho, said to be the oldest city in the world, is also the lowest This once formidable city with walls thick enough to race chariots around sits at 864 feet below sea level. Isn't that kind of amazing? There amid the reddish-brown rock and sand and the landscape begins a nearly 19-mile slope upward almost three-quarters of a mile to Jerusalem. When my sons and I visited there last year, we observed firsthand how God created a great stage to tell 
the amazing story of His love and redemption. It's hard to escape the direct message being told by the land and the landscape, Brother Steve. As you heard earlier from Genesis 22, Abraham, a man well known as a friend of God, first came to this very same country after leaving his homeland by faith, not even knowing where he was going, right? But what was he looking for? He was looking for a city whose builder and maker, or as it says in Hebrews 11.10, a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In his old age, married to Sarah, God promised them a son. And he promised them descendants that would be like the stars of the heaven and like the sand of the sea. Long past what any reasonable person would have thought uh, a woman could give birth, she does. And she gives birth to the son. And they named him Isaac. After giving him this son, the father of the faithful followed God down yet another very difficult path because God told Abraham, as we heard in Genesis 22, to take your son out and take him out into the mountains of Moriah. And I will show you a place, a very specific place. And I want you to offer him to the Lord. I'll read you just a tiny bit of it because I want to emphasize part of it. Genesis 22, sometime later God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took him to and two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. And on the third day, he looked up and he saw that particular place. It's interesting to me in understanding God's providence that God was directing Abraham to an exact geographical coordinates. If you had GPS uh, and that was in the daytime, in the day that Abraham lived, it would be a very specific GPS. Exactly to a, why would God do this? Why couldn't God, I mean, if the miracle was only that he was going to stop him from killing Isaac, what was so important about the place? Why couldn't it have been anywhere? Because God had a master plan that would span decades, that would span centuries, that would span millennia. And God had an exact specific location in the dirt for Abraham to offer Isaac. Isn't that amazing to you? It should click in your brain as this is really special. It was there on that altar that he built that God provided instead of Isaac, as we read earlier, a ram in the thicket. The place that God had directed him to was on top, though, of one of the seven hills of Jerusalem that I just told you about. Remember when you're down in Jericho and you're working your way up 18 miles, you get up and there are this conglomeration of seven hills. They call mountains in the Bible. In modern day language, a mountain is a certain height. These aren't quite that high, but so we might call them hills, but the Bible calls them mountains. So maybe we should redefine mountain. Amen. (laughs) This would be the very first of amazing things uh, that God would do on this very spot where these mountains came together. It's a very strange coming together. You know, most of the time you see a mountain, if you think maybe of Mount Fuji, it's just a mountain like that, right? But these mountains are, are more like, like one is doing this and another is doing like this. And so their peaks come together 
where the city of Jerusalem, because you're like, how in the world can you have a city that has seven mountains? These seas, they all come together. Okay. Hundreds of years later, after one of this man's descendants, uh, after one of this man's descendants, we know Jacob becomes a nation. They traveled into Egypt to avoid great famine. And as we know, they became slaves there, right? We know that God was sent uh, Moses then to be their deliverer. And even though God had established this new free nation with his law at Mount Sinai, it would not be the mountain where he would build his city. Mount Sinai was not the place where the city of God would be located. It was the place where God gave his law. They too returned, though, these people did return to where? Where did they go? They came back to Canaan land. Abraham's promised land, the land where Abraham lived. And Abraham had lived in Hebron, which is outside of Jerusalem, uh, several miles to the south and to the west. And he lived there. He bought a cave and buried his wife there. And over the years, they were coming and burying all of their descendants. They would go from wherever they were in the world, and they would bring their descendants back there. Jacob was buried there. Isaac was buried there. Abraham was buried there. And, and so now, here the children of Israel are. They had, uh, they had carried even Joseph's bones, okay, to be brought to this location. God had brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, taken them across the Jordan River to the Jericho to begin this conquest of Canaan. And as they conquered, they would go up, 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 up from Jericho to these seven mountains that came together into the city, which we now call Jerusalem, but then was not. It was just called Salem. They knew that up on this plateau, not too far from these hills, was this cave that Abraham had purchased. These former slaves became God's freemen as they rooted out the inhabitants of the land and they claimed it for their own. Now hundreds of years later, after Joshua led the people in to Canaan land and they became a mighty nation, God then appointed David as a king over the nation of Israel. And he said, I'm going to establish his seat I'm going to establish his throne forever. And he does this in a very, very, very specific place. I wonder where it's going to be. Where's where it's going to be, Derek? God gave David the same city, the seven sacred hills for the center of his kingdom. Again, God's chosen people returned to the same geographical location where Melchizedek had once been king of Salem. David built his palace on Zion. One of these hills, one of them is the Mount of Olives. One is Mount Moriah. One of them is Zion. They all come together. I've been there. It's kind of interesting to see. But David built his palace there. We've seen it. And the foundations are still there on this rocky area there in Zion. But in a, in a moment of weakness, David numbered Israel. We, we talked about this recently, right? He, he wants to see how big the nation is and, and, and how powerful they are, and so he counts everybody. Well, God had told him not to do that. This grieved the heart even of the, the, the people of God. They didn't want to participate, but of course he's the king. They've got to do what he says. And when they number Israel, they get done counting them all, and God sends a death angel. And the death angel begins to judge Israel. Do you guys know the story? Right? I talked about this recently. And the angel goes through the land. And the Bible says somehow he has a sword. And his sword isn't just cutting people. That pestilence and plague are coming from the sword. And 70,000 Israelites are killed because of David's sin. 
Now, as this is going on, David is praying and he's like, God, these people didn't do this. It was me. Lord, punish me. Please don't do this to the people. And somehow David, who is very close, uh, sees that this angel has left the Judean uh, countryside and this angel has come to Jerusalem. And there he is at the threshing floor of a man whose name is Arnon. And the angel is standing there. Could you imagine this? Could you imagine an angel with a sword that is causing death and pestilence and you know it's happening and you're watching it? I don't know what it was that they saw, but it was, had to be amazing. It says the angel had come to destroy Jerusalem. This is kind of confusing to me because apparently the, the, the angel didn't really know God's plan. But you know, God doesn't tell the angels everything he does, right? Doesn't the Bible say that, that the angels long to look into? They long to understand? This angel came and he's like, you know what? I'm going to destroy the city of Jerusalem. And God says, no, you're not. And he stops him. And when he stops the angel, the angel is standing in the threshing floor. Do you know what the threshing floor is? Threshing floors where people, they bring wheat and they, uh, they do stuff to it and they put it in blankets and they throw it up in the air. That's threshing. And the, the chaff will blow away out of it so that it's separated out and they can use it to make bread because you can't have the chaff in there with the wheat. So it's something they do. So it's a high place. Guess where this threshing floor was? This threshing floor of Ornan just so happened to be in a very specific location on this mountain. God stayed the angel's hand and told him to stop killing the people of Jerusalem just as he had stopped the sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham and in the very spot. Do you think that was a chance encounter? Do you think that was something that was an accident? What many don't realize that it was on the very spot, the threshing floor of Ornan, where the angel had put down his blade of death, where Abraham... And Isaac pleased God at their own handmade altar. At this altar, God provided a ram that was caught in the thicket. And on that spot, you know what David did? David built an altar. And remember, he takes the oxen of Ornan. Ornan goes, you can have them. He says, oh, no way. I'm not going to give God something that doesn't cost me something. And he buys the oxen and he buys the threshing floor. And he says, I'm going to offer this to God. And he does. And this plague is stayed. All on the same spot. It's an amazing thing that on one spot God could do so much. If, if we were Gnostic in our thinking as though the earth doesn't matter, why does God keep coming back to the same exact spot in the dirt? On that very spot, David built his altar and he, act, he, he offered his sacrifice for not killing even more. This is recorded in 2 Samuel 24 and 1 Chronicles 21 if you want to read it. It was also there that David determined to build a house for God. This is an appropriate place to build a house. And guess what was built right there? The temple that Solomon built. 2 Chronicles 3.1 Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah where the Lord had appeared to David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. This became the holiest place on earth to God's people. There on the northern slope of Mount Zion, the tabernacle there, the Ark of the Covenant remained there for years. We hear the songs 
When the Bible, when in, in Psalms and in the Bible where you hear the songs of Zion, this is what they're singing about. They're singing about the holiest place on earth. The Holy of Holies was there. The marvelous, wonderful power of God was there where God abode between the cherubs upon the mercy seat where the sins of Israel were atoned for on the Day of Atonement. Psalm 48 is a song about the King of Mount Zion, the King of the mountains of the earth. In the Bible, Zion is mentioned 154 times. We talked about this in another one of our Psalms that we taught on, Psalm 9. 154 times in the Old Testament and tons more in the New. If you're, in, uh, if you're an American and you're in some other place, they go, we want to send a message to Washington. You know what that means. It's a message to your whole country. It's a message, right? And when they say Zion, they are invoking all of God's people. As a picture, Mount Zion, simply called Zion now, comes to represent David's throne, Israel, and even the kingdom of God itself. This small word has huge biblical significance. In fact, Zion is used more than a hundred times by the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah combined. Most of the minor prophets use it too to represent God's kingdom here on earth. Because you see, that's a big part of what God is doing. God is not just saving us for heaven, but he's saving us for a job where? Right here. Modern Jews who consider the Old Testament the word of God believe they still have rights to this land. They are named Zionists for this reason. In the New Testament, uh, the New Testament writers continue with the theme of Zion as the kingdom of God on earth. And it becomes what is also known as the church. It's another name for you. You are Zion. Because God doesn't live in temples made with hands, does he? He lives where? He lives in the temple, which is the church. The Bible says we are built together as a holy habitation of God in the spirit. We should name one of our kids around here, Zion. Jesus was crucified, I believe, in the same location. If you go there, there are a few different places in Jerusalem where they think that it occurred. If it's not exact, I don't know, but would it, would it surprise you any that God would maybe have the place that David offered a sacrifice, maybe the place that Abraham offered Isaac where the temple had been when Solomon built it? Would it surprise you that there was another sacrifice made, one where God did not stay his hand, but death actually came as he provided himself a sacrifice? Paul speaks about this in Romans or in Hebrews, God's living kingdom was coming through the church, the living God. He says, you are not come to a smoking mountain like Moses when you receive the law, but you are come to what? Mount. You are come to Mount. Under the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And to the God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Peter says this as he quotes from Isaiah 28. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Of course, Jesus is the cornerstone of this new great kingdom that will never and could never be overthrown. Amen? The kingdom of heaven come to earth is the church over which he, the just judge, presides. He is the king of Zion. And he and his holy hill, 
and his seat of power. John says in Revelation 14, 1, that the Lamb stands on Mount Zion with 144,000 saints coming in his glory to rule the world at the consummation of all things. Zion is mentioned 37 times in the Psalms alone, starting in Psalm 2. Can anyone quote that verse? Any of you memorizers quote the, the verse in Psalm 2 that, that talks about Zion? Come on now. I know you know it. The, if the people that went to Myanmar don't know it, you're not allowed to go back. We got a winner on the front row. Psalm 2.6. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of... So let's look at this short Psalm, uh, Psalm 9, Psalm, Psalm 2. I'll just do a few, a few of it real quick here as I'm, I'm trying to move quickly. It's about God overthrowing men's rule and establishing his own just kingdom. It's a particular theme of the Psalms. David knew that he was at the beginning of this wonderful work God was doing to save the world was beginning here. Psalm 2, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder, let us cast away their cords from us. You go down, it's not that long. He goes, I will declare, or he says, yet he says, I will speak to them. He, he, he shall speak to them in his wrath, vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen of thine inheritance in the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Justice is coming to Zion. Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. The Lord shall send thy rod of strength out of Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of power in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning Thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Can you see the tie-in even to Melchizedek? Melchizedek was the king and the priest of Salem. He served there in that same place where Zion's hills. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike the kings to the day of his wrath. He shall judge the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. The wounds of their heads of the many countries. He shall drink the, of the brook and the way. Psalm 149, praise you the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song, sing praise in the congregation of his saints, let Israel rejoice in him that made him, let the children of Zion be joyful in their king, let them praise his name in the dance and let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and the harp, for the Lord take pleasure in his people, he will beautify the meek with salvation, the saints be joyful in glory and let them sing aloud upon their beds, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and the two-edged sword in their hand. To execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute upon them the judgments written. Thus have honor all the saints. We're Zion. The Bible says when it's warning us about uh, having arguments with each other. It says, you know, you're going to be judging angels one day. What's wrong with you? you I dare you to go to the heathen for uh, uh, some sort of a, a court case against the two of you. You guys are the judges of Zion. God's justice will come through us. Justice is coming through the kingdom and it's coming through you. Thou hast maintained my rod, it says in, in, in Psalm 9. Thou statest 
Saddest in the throne, judging right, thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world. Sing praises to the Lord, which dwell in Zion. Declare them among the people. God is not just in heaven. He's established himself on the earth, starting with Zion. This would not only be the throne of David, but it would be the place that God put his temple. The earth would be restored not only in justice among men, but the proper worship of God. God rules the church, but he also is the king of the state. Psalm 48, I'll read it for you before I start running through the verses. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. I, you know, folks, we got to sing this. Now, I don't know if we're going to sing the one that, that I grew up singing. Great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great King. I don't know if you know that, but it's a joyful song. It's a song about the joy of the King of the mountain. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. For lo, the kings were assembled. They passed by together. They saw it. They marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. They took hold upon them. They are pained as if the woman in travail. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish within each wind. We have heard, we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise among the ends of the earth. And thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice and let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion and go round about her and tell her towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks and consider her palaces that ye may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide. You ever set about in your heart to go walk around Jerusalem and look at its towers? I'll tell you what. I'm very thankful that I did it. I would recommend every Christian human being. You know what? We're not Muslims. We're not trying to, you know, make a pilgrimage to Mecca. You know, we don't worship relics and we don't worship stones. But I'll tell you what, if there is a holy place on earth, it's certainly right here. And it's certainly worth looking at. It should be in your heart more, to go, more than to go see the, anything else. If you want to see something, going to see that would be worth your time, be worth your effort. How about Bonavir's? What do you say? All right, I can get a thanks be to God from the third row. Verse 1, a psalm, a song and psalm for the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God and the mountain of His holiness. Now, if you've been wondering who these sons of Korah were, you may say, oh, I know a guy, Korah, in the Bible, but certainly we're not talking about that guy. You guys know the story of Korah in the Bible? Certainly, certainly these sons of Korah couldn't have anything to do with him because he was a bad guy. You can read about him in Numbers chapter 16. He raised up against... Moses and he uh, tried to overthrow him and start a mutiny. And you know what God did? God opened up the ground and swallowed him and about 250 other men. There's an interesting scripture in Numbers chapter 26 verse 11. It says, but the sons of Korah did not die. And folks, do you know who the sons of Korah became? They became those singers. 
They became known for their singing of praises to God. They just went around singing. You know what? God didn't kill me. That might have been their first song. God killed my dad. And he destroyed all the people that were rebellious, but he saved me alive. Folks, I'm telling you right now, these kind of things are strange, but they're beautiful. We need to remember even in this little uh, inspired heading, the sons of Korah, that they could have gone the way of Achan's children, but they did not. God did not pile them under a heap of rocks like Achan's children, but the sons of Korah were spared, even, in, even though their father rebelled against Moses. And not only did they survive, but they thrived, and they became known as the singers in the church. Their family and their relatives, they had a gift, and they liked to sing. And I love it how many of the Psalms are, this one's for the sons of Korah. This one's for them. They're going to sing this. As I've been telling you the past two weeks, Psalm 46, 47, and 48 are a trio of songs not ascribed to an author, but there's quite a bit of linguistic evidence that lends itself to believing that Isaiah wrote them. There's also historical and inward hints that they were written because of what God did to the Assyrian king Sennacherib when he besieged Jerusalem when Hezekiah was king of Judah. We've talked about how God killed 185,000 men in one night, these Assyrian warriors. It may also be referring, though, to two other great deliverances. Calvin suggested that perhaps maybe even Psalm 48 uh, was to do with this event with Sennacherib, but there are two other events where Jerusalem was besieged that it might be referring to as well. And so I read those stories. If you want to read some incredible stories to your kids, you should read these stories. There was a time when an Ethiopian army of one million, it says a thousand thousand men and 300 chariots. Like that would be pretty scary. Came from Ethiopia. The dark-skinned Kushites of northern Africa came in a million men to conquer uh, Jerusalem. And they outnumbered Israel greatly. And God sent a mighty deliverance and wiped them out. There's another just as incredible where God smites Israel after they come against. There's a group and it's several different of the enemies of God. It's just not one king. And you'll see that there's a, a reference here in Psalm 48 that makes you think that this could be referring to that. Kings of the Philistines and the Moabites and the Amorites, they all got together and they're like, we're going to take Jerusalem out and we're going we're gonna to go. And they pass by and they look at the city. Well, you know what God said? You know what? This is a great army. And there were a million of these guys too. And they're coming to get you. And God said, oh, you're going to beat them, but you're not going to fight them. Kind of like Jericho all over again, right? He said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to get the sons of Korah. I want you to get the Levites. And I want you to go out. And I want you to get out your instruments. And I want you to play them. And I want you to sing. And when they did, God killed their enemies. And when you read about this, it's amazing. So many of them, it doesn't number the number that they killed. It took them three days of just taking the jewelry off these guys and the spoil out of their pockets. Three days. All of Israel collecting from the dead bodies for three days. And it says, and they still didn't get it all. They could not even carry it away. There was so much. So it could have been that. I don't know. All they did was sing and play instruments and God killed their enemies. Second Chronicles 20, 21, when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers to the Lord. 
that should praise the beauty of God's holiness. They went out before the army. And you know what they said? Praise ye the Lord for His mercy endures forever. That's what they were supposed to sing. Do we even sing a song like that? Praise ye the Lord for His mercy endures forever. All they were supposed to sing, Christina. They were supposed to get their instruments and they were supposed to sing. Well, like that sounds like a repetition, like a chorus. Yeah, it was. It was a good one, apparently. Praise ye the Lord. That's all they were supposed to say. For His mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, of Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. These were not figures of speech. They were literal references to Jerusalem, the city of our God and of Zion, the mountain of God's holiness. That mountain was Zion. It was separated by God and for God, and thereupon was the holy of holies, the ark of God. And the next verse, verse 2, makes it even more plain. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Zion is the southernmost of the seven hills of Jerusalem, but its slope faces to the north. And the temple was built on the northern slope. Literally, what is being said, you know, beautiful for situation. He's saying, where God put it was perfect. When you look at it, it was ideal. It was beautiful and it's lovely in the way that God established it. That's what is being sung about here. There's a whole thing about the sides of the north I don't have time to go into, but that's where Satan, it says Lucifer, wants to go. He wants to ascend to the sides of the north. He wants to exalt himself above God. I can't do it. It's taking too much time. Verse 3, God is known in her palaces for a refuge. This is where God lives. You know, God lived in Jerusalem at one time, but he doesn't live there anymore. He lives in a Jerusalem that is going to come out of heaven. You are the new Jerusalem. Do you understand this? You go, wait a minute, I'm just, I'm just a jar of clay. I'm just a, a sinner. I'm just a guy who can't quite almost get it together to make it to church. Like, oh yeah, that's what's so great about this. That's what's so great about it. God is making you his house. You're the lively stones that build up the holy habitation of God. He's not just living somewhere uh, under the, the, some wooden instrument covered in gold on a day with the blood of animals that can't do anything. No, He lives in us. That's what it means that God lives in us. You might go, how could God live in me? Well, He can't. He lives in us. And God being in us, living in the temple that is us. You can read about it in Ephesians. I'll be teaching through this as I go through my Bible study. The kings of the earth have come again and again to take Jerusalem, but she is God's and he has protected her. They are going to try to destroy the church, but they will not. Jesus declared, I have come to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The the temple that Solomon built was torn down, but this temple that Jesus is building cannot be torn down. Don't fear. Don't look out and go, oh, what are they going to do? Let me tell you, whatever they do, they're not going to destroy the church. I can tell you that right now. Whatever they say, they're not going to keep us from worshiping. They pass law out in California to say that you can't sing in church. Well, I'll tell you what. You can't stop the people of God from singing in the holy habitation of God the Spirit. Amen? It's not a building. It's not a place. It's not a temple on a hill. It's us. 
Verse 5, they saw it, they marveled, they were troubled, and they hasted away. It described what happened again and again in the stories that we're referencing. Sennacherib was there, and when 185,000 men died, he ran away. And he ran away to the temple of his God, and he got killed in the temple. When these guys saw it, and when God began to disquiet them, they ran away. And so what's happening in this verse is he's reminding them, you know what happens when, when our enemies came against us? God specifically protected Jerusalem. Verse 6, fear took hold upon them and pain as if a woman in travail. The suddenness of God's judgment upon whichever enemy that so proudly thought to exalt itself above God's people made them helpless in a moment and God struck them down. You might think nothing can change our situation. Nothing can conquer our enemies. You're going to find out that suddenly, suddenly their demise will come upon them. Verse 7, thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with the east wind. Reading this, you may miss some of this if you don't know uh, your Bible. The reference to Tarshish is what Israel called the Mediterranean Sea. They called it the Sea of Tarshish. When they, saw, when they say that God breaks the ships of Tarshish with the east wind, they're speaking of the power of God's sovereignty over the weather and how He has used it to beat their enemies time and again. If you know in the Bible, sometimes God will send a rain. He will send a flood. He will send a tornado. He sent 100-pound hailstones that destroyed their enemies. And they're singing about God's providence over the weather when He's talking about the winds destroying the ships of Tarshish. Invading forces who thought to come against God, people from the sea, wound up smashed on the rocks of destruction because that's what happens when people come against the church of the living God. You may have heard the term kamikaze. Do you guys know it? You might know it from uh, World War II, but you might not know what it means. The word means divine wind because of two incredible acts of what seemed to be to the Japanese the great acts of God of salvation for them. You may not know about this. Do you know the Mongols? You you guys ever heard of the uh, Mongolian Mongols and a guy named Kublai Khan? In 1274, he got five to 900 ships and their men on, they had like some 30 to 40,000 men and they came across uh, the East Sea of China to Japan. And as they about got there to destroy them, God sent a typhoon and drowned them. And those that didn't drown ended up on the beach, Ryan. And you know what the Japanese did? They killed all them, right? So seven years later, they did it again. Only this time they said, we're going to bring 4,000 ships. And we're going to bring 140,000 men. And as they approached to come across the East China Sea to the Japanese, guess what happened? A typhoon came and drowned 70,000 of them. And those that lived swam onto the beaches and were killed by these. That's what divine wind is. The Japanese are like, you know what? The chances are of this being an accident aren't very good. All these ships came to get us and a typhoon came. Typhoon didn't come every day to Japan. Especially in that place. Do you guys know that weather? The weather typhoons don't come right there that often. But two of them had to come on the exact invasion time of the Mongols and God killed them all. They understood what some Christians don't understand today. That God is in charge of the wind and the wave. Don't you remember it? What manner of man is this? That even the wind and the wave obey his voice. He is the king of the mountain. He is the key king of the ocean and the sea and the winds. He is the sovereign king of the universe. (laughs) 
for a while, the kamikazes, they changed the, they made them the name of these people that would ride in planes and bomb our ships, but God happened to be on our side. And their divine win was no divine win because they lost. As we have heard, it says in verse 8, So we have seen in the city of our Lord of hosts, the city of our God, God will establish it forever. Here the prophet invokes God's promise to David that he would establish a kingdom forever, and Jerusalem would certainly the city of David. Isaiah himself recorded the words in Isaiah 9, 6. You all know it. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon the, his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth forever. You see, Isaiah believed God's words. Isaiah lived during this time. Isaiah may have written these Psalms, but he certainly lived during these invasions of Jerusalem and he saw with his own eyes. He could proclaim, he could go, you know, we're not going to lose today. How did he know they're not going to lose? Well, because God said. God said he's establishing Verse 9, we have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. God's mercy is at the center of all of his great deeds for us. It's God's mercy that he doesn't kill us. It's like the sons of Korah. They lived to sing another day. The ground could have opened up and swallowed them, but it didn't. Amen? And God's judgment could come on you, but instead what has come on you? Mercy and love and kindness. That's what God has shown us, even though we have thumbed our nose at him and rebelled against him and chosen our own, chosen our own way. The Bible said when we weren't trying, when we weren't seeking, when we did not want him, he sought after us with a never ceasing love. And then his mercies were new every morning. Psalm 107 so beautifully calls us to this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. He gathered them out of the lands from the east and the west and the north and the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way, but they found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. They cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. He led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. What is the city of God but the church of Jesus Christ? That is the ark that we run into when the judgment of God's reign comes down. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the soul, and he filleth the hungry with his goodness. Psalm 136, I can't even go through it. If I do, I'll explode, but I'll try a little bit. And you might go, you're getting a little passionate. What's wrong with you, Pastor Mark? I'm telling you, the zeal of God's house is eating me up inside. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of hosts. To him alone who does great wonders. To him by wisdom made the heavens. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn. You get the drift. You know, you may not really be a man or a woman who praises. And it may be because you haven't had your sieges of Jerusalem. You haven't had your deliverances of Egypt. You haven't seen God do these things. And so you're like, yeah, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Folks, I'm telling you right now, I don't 
I, I think that we have, we have become complacent when we should be passionate. We should be excited. I was given a picture of the men about, uh, at the table the other day about what I think would be more appropriate for God. Imagine if there were hundreds of us and we were all gathered around and we were like, oh, okay. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in his midst, there he is. Imagine the people were all chattering and we're all talking and someone comes in and they go, ah, ah, and we shout. We go, the king is here. And the people shout, the king is here. And you go, oh, well, I think you're getting a little carried away. The king is here. He's here. He's speaking. He's here and he has power. He's here and he answers our prayers. What in the world is wrong with us that we think that somehow adopting the reserve of uh, intellectualism is somehow better than pouring out our souls in passion to God? To Him which led His people through this, for His mercy endures forever. To Him that smote great kings, for His mercy endures forever. For Him that slew famous kings, for His mercy endures forever. Who remembered our low estate, for His mercy endures forever. He hath redeemed us from our enemies, His mercy endures forever. He gives food to all flesh. Can you give thanks for food? For His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for His mercy endures forever. Verse 10, according to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad. If it says to let Mount Zion rejoice, it's not the rocks that would have cried out that are on Mount Zion. Because Jesus said, if my people who cried Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. They said, oh, tell them to shut up. Tell them to be quiet. If they needed to be told to be quiet, and Jesus said, you better not tell them to be quiet or rocks are going to start praising me. Then what in the world should we do? The Bible says we need to redeem the time for the days are evil. We're in a bad time. Difficult things. What do we do? It says be not drunk with wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Is that what you're doing as your enemies come to the gates? Are you singing? Are you praising I love, I've seen some churches go down to these places where they're burning and they're pillaging and they're busting out windows and I've seen them sing. And I thought, oh, what would happen? What could we do? What if we could go sing? What if we could sing? Does any of you know how to sing? Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Joy should be our response from thankful hearts exploding from his goodness. Walk about Zion, go around about her and tell her towers thereof. The very rocks of her towers crowd and praise as a witness to the great deeds of God. You see, those rocks were witnesses, Brother Steve. Not only did they see that king after king came to Jerusalem, and they but the king of kings, the Lord of glory, even in that same city, up on a tree. And yes, they put him in one of those rocks, but God said, roll it away. And he came out victorious. Folks, we've got something to shout about. There's a new song someone sent me, and you can, maybe it's a little too heavy for some of you, but it's called Rattle. And in it it says, if you want to know, ask the stone that was rolled. If you want to know that God makes dead men's bones live. Mm. And the bones begin to rattle. It's pretty intense. You, some of you may not be able to handle it, but 
I'd like to turn it up louder. I'd like to hurt myself listening to that song. Verse 13, make ye well her bulwarks, consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generation following. You know, the reason why that we are going to have trouble is because we are not fighting battles. We don't have anything to tell our generation about. We don't have enemies that God's defeated. We don't have uh, walls that fell flat. We don't have times of desperation where we've called out to God. But you know what? Thanks be to God, maybe they're coming. Maybe they'll take all of our money. Maybe they'll end all of the grocery stores. Maybe they'll, everything that's been making us think we don't need God, maybe that'll go away. And then maybe, then we'll learn how to sing. Then we'll learn how to lift up our gods. Then we'll learn how to stay awake through a whole entire church service and understand that God is only asking for a little bit of time. For God is our God forever and ever, and He will be our God even to death. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this psalm that Your prophet wrote. For everyone that wrote the Word of God is indeed a prophet. We don't know if it was Isaiah or Gad or whoever it was. We don't know, Lord God, but we know that it was sent to us for us. May today we be reminded that Israel did not just have something to rejoice over because their city was spared. But one day, as Brother Andy read for us from Revelation chapter 21, that the city of God would be come down from heaven, that it would have foundations, that there would be no need, there would be to sun to light it because the Son of God would be there. Oh God, we pray, Lord, that you would establish your kingdom in us and through us, Lord. Lord, we're thankful for a government that is by the people and for the people and all of that. But Lord, what we are more thankful for than that, that we are a people who have been called by your name, that we are a nation that cannot be defeated, that the church of Jesus Christ will live on and be eternal, and that the throne of David will be established forever and ever, from henceforth forevermore. May it be so through us. May we realize that we are the army now, that we are the habitation now, and that we are Zion. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.